Ready? We're ready. Okay. Hey everyone, welcome back to Quality Matters. I'm your hostess, Darcy Chambers. And I'm Kyle. Thanks for joining us. Woohoo! <laughs> I don't know why I said that you're here every time. Yeah. All right, we are starting a new mini-series, as I mentioned on the last episode, that I hope I finish the book in time that we can do, <laughs> do the series all together. Um, this one is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, right? Yes. Yeah, Classic. Covey. Um, so this time I don't have my notes typed out. I'm just going to use the book to help me. This first episode is uh, Borrowing Strength and Skipping Steps. In today's global economy, quality matters. Benjamin Franklin once quipped, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Quality Matters is here to talk about all things quality. So whether you're looking to improve your business, getting ready for an audit, or dealing with failed inspections, tune in, check us out, then get back to doing work that matters. Okay. So before he even gets into the habits, he talks about inside out, which makes sense. You have to work on the inside mm -hmm. before you can expect the outside environment to change around you because you can't control anybody else. All you can control is yourself. That is a hard lesson for a lot of people to learn. It is. Even me. I'm learning it. It is. And, a, again, though, like going back to quality in the workplace, I mean, that's a real hard lesson right there because you've got certain ways you want things to go. You've got certain practices you want people to follow. Something as simple as a form. <laughs> you want people to fill out a form. Well, dadgum, you better make that form friendly to fill out. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they're not going to do it. Right. So, in case. So um, he talks about our development and how if it's something physical, it's pretty easy to tell how you are in your development. For instance, he gives a couple of in, uh, examples, but as a personal example, our son is in band for the first mm -hmm. year. Um, he's playing the French horn. That's mm -hmm. the instrument that chose him, <laughs> as they say. Um, and he does not like to practice at no. all. We but he wants to be good. He wants to be good. He enjoys. He enjoys playing. He enjoys being a band and playing uh -huh. the horn. Um, and, you know, for a couple of weeks, he would stay after school for a while and mm -hmm. practice, but he just does not like to practice at home. And um, in band, they require all the students to do private lessons. Oh, yeah, this was fun. But that's during school. Which is really cool. It's, yeah. It's really, nice. really awesome setup. And they have scholarships to help with it. Mm -hmm. You can't pay for it, so it's all nice. But um, I think it was the night before his private lessons, and <laughs> he said something about practicing, and he really needed help. Because his private lesson teacher was going to make him go back to the beginning of the band book if he didn't do a good job. And played nothing but whole notes. Okay. Well, yeah. I didn't remember that part. So, um, so he was really worried about that. And he mm -hmm. wanted to get on his horn and play. And I guess he did what he needed to do because he had his private lessons. And he didn't have to go back to the no. beginning. And he's staying after school again. So he's doing the work. But that's just all to say... We could see his development, and his mm -hmm. more his teachers could see his mm -hmm. development, and that it wasn't quite progressing as it needed right. to be. That's something easy to identify and find out. Yep. However, this book talks about your emotional development, and that's not as easy to identify. And he talks about lots of examples. Um, he talks about a father and the daughters and the wife. Talks about how harsh the father is, and he talked to the father, and he intellectually knew. Yeah, I know, but I don't know how to fix it. Yeah. 
So and so it's like even if we know we're not developed where we need to be, we don't know how to fix it. And he goes on to talk about in the um, in the business world, skipping this natural process, and you try to get your um, your employees, your staff to buy in, mm-hmm. and you give these strong speeches, and you give training, and you give interventions, and you do mergers and acquisitions, like all the business schemes you can think about. And then nothing changes. And nothing changes because you're ignoring the natural principles and processes on which a high trust culture is based. That's straight from the book. I copied <laughs> that. There you go. Um, it's true. It is so freaking true. It does not matter how. I say it doesn't matter. It matters, but it is not the first thing. How strongly and passionately and forcefully you want something to happen. Everyone has their own motivations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was talking to uh, Jesse about this on the way to school this morning. That's our oldest son. Yes. It's like you're only going to get people to change for one of three reasons. Is one, you force them to where there is direct coercion. Like We're going to talk know. about that. Yeah. The other way is you inspire them to where it can ignite something inside them mm-hmm. to where they have their own desire to do it. Or three, you scare them. That's it. You can't motivate anyone any other way. So, <laughs> um, he tells a story, and I think a lot of us can, if you're a parent, you can relate to this. I definitely related to this. Um, his daughter was having a third or fourth birthday party. I can't remember. She had opened up all her presents. And, of course, all the kids wanted to play with all these new toys. Right. And she was kind of huddled in the corner with all her toys. <laughs> and, um, and he walks over and says, what's the matter? And they all wanted to play with their toys. And I think at first he tried to be, you know, why don't you just share with your friends? Yeah, you know, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I imagine our four-year-old daughter who does not want to share, but no. when she wants her brothers to share. Oh, heck yeah. Says, Sharing is caring. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> But she doesn't believe that when it's her turn to share. No. And so he just said, oh, honey, why don't you share? No, she says, finally. Mm-hmm. No, no other details, just a simple no. <laughs> so then um, she, he tried to reason with her. Well, if you share your toys here at your house now, then when you go to their house, they'll share with you. Also have done that. Yeah, I sense. have said that to mm-hmm. the Arkans. Mm-hmm. Um, again, no. no. Um, so then... You know, he's getting embarrassed as a dad. There's mm-hmm. all these parents watching him. So he couldn't ignite anything in her to do it. He could not. And now he's starting to care what these people think. So I'm, I'm feeling coercion is about to occur. So there's a little <laughs> bribery, also yeah. known as coercion. Um, well, if you share, I'll give you a special surprise. I'll get you some gum. <laughs> and how often does that happen with bonuses in the workplace? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, we just talked about that, right? <laughs> On one of our... Last yep. few episodes, yep. what gets measured gets done. So, yep. um, and and then it says she exploded. I don't want gum. She exploded. So now it's not a quiet conversation between dad and daughter. Yep. Like now, <laughs> now not only does everybody see that um, that she's not sharing. Right. Now it's becoming a, right. a bit of a temper tantrum. But to be fair to her, she's already answered him. Mm-hmm. She just wants to be left alone with her new toys. Yeah. Okay. Um, so now dad, Stephen Covey is exasperated. So he resorts to fear and threatening and <laughs> says, unless you share, you will be in real trouble. Right. Of course, no actual consequence, but you're in big trouble. Missy. Right. And she cries. I don't care. These are my things. I don't have to share. 
So then he resorts to force. Yes. And takes the toys and gives them to the other kids and says, here, play with these. Uh-huh. So, you know, obviously looking back, he, he sees the fault. And again, I think we've all been there mm-hmm. um, with the kids. So the, his problem was at that moment, he valued the opinion of the other parents yep. watching them. Instead of using this moment to be a lesson to his daughter yep. and to himself, too. Um, so he talks about he wasn't willing to give patience or understanding, so he expected her to give the things. Right. He borrowed strength from his position and authority mm-hmm. and forced her to do what he wanted her to do. Mm-hmm. Did that teach her anything? Nope. No, it didn't. So the question is, what happens when that borrowed strength goes away? Hmm. So, you know, especially thinking about this in terms of kids, at some point, the kids are going to get older. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to be able to force them to do what you want them to do anymore. Yep. And again, we've talked about this with our own kids. They're very active, mm-hmm. um, very stubborn. Mm-hmm. And so one... <laughs> active. <laughs> <laughs> the middle one in particular is abnormally strong. Yes. And yes. And and feels his emotions a hundred percent. Yes. Whatever they are, he feels it physically, he, emotionally, yes. and you're gonna know. And so I have said for a long time since he was very young, like we have to find a different way to parent him yep. because if this ever gets physical, we're gonna lose. Mm-hmm. Like spanking's not gonna work. No. <laughs> no, I mean once he's a teenager, like there's no there's no physical force to, to restrain him. Yeah, and you know, not that we're physical with our kids at all, but it just was a very yeah. early realization for us that we have to do a really mm-hmm. good job with this, or we're mm-hmm. going to get it wrong in a big way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, thinking about kids, and not even take away the physical. You know, at some point, the kid realizes because I'm your parent, or because I said so. Is, it's no longer enough. Yeah. Once yeah. they turn 18, because I said so, it doesn't matter. Nope. And so, and really, I mean, 16 or 15. Right. You know. Well, even then, but that's kind of going back to what I was talking about here. And, you know, what he uh, hinted at there is you've only got three ways you can get someone to do something. Mm-hmm. And so if fear and force don't work, the only thing you're left with is to inspire something inside them, which is what you started with here. Yeah. So... So what happens when the borrowed strength is gone? Yeah. Okay, inspiring speech comes along. Right. Great, we're all fired up. And, and then, then 10 minutes later, it's gone. You know, I go back to when I was in education every year. We had a, um, they called it the convocation. We had a big speech, a mm-hmm. big speaker. Somebody would pay to come in. The whole school district would sit mm-hmm. in an auditorium. And we listen to, oh, we get all fired up. It's so exciting. And then you're like a week into the school year. And yep, that speech it's gone. is long gone. gone. That doesn't matter anymore. It wasn't, I mean, it was intrinsic in me because I love teaching and I love the right. kids that I worked with. But, um, you know, there's actually the podcast we were listening to uh, this morning. We were listening to uh, Jordan Peterson podcast. But this is a topic that I've thought about a lot before and you run into in the workplace a lot is you have to set up the environment such that the environment tells you how to behave and how to act and how to proceed through the world. And I use the example of forms all the time because, you know, we all fill out forms in our job, whether it's on the computer or it's on paper, but the form itself can substitute for a procedure. 
because just by virtue of the way it flows, you you know you fill out this section, then you fill out that section. It's like if they have a field for name, and all it says is name, you don't know, do I put first name? Do I put last name? Do I put my middle initial? You don't know, it's not very clear. But if you have a box for first name, and you have a box for middle, and you have a box for last, I like those the best, because I go by my middle name. So when they say first name, I'm like, well, I don't want anyone to call me Douglas, so I'm gonna put Kyle there as first name. So when they have a, fee, a, a spot for first name, middle initial, last name, like, woohoo, I know what to do. <laughs> um, so how you set up the environment that people are working in or that your kids are interacting in or your students are, are in, how you set up that environment is just as important as those speeches and as those procedures you've written and as all of these other tools that we've got to maintain it. That environment has to be set up such that people know what to do. It's so funny that you talk about environment because, you know, I've mentioned it so many times on this podcast about education and how everything I learned there totally relates to this. And I mean, we had classes on classroom environments, yep. setting up the environment mm -hmm. for learning. And, mm -hmm. and you know, we need a comfy reading area. Mm -hmm. We need chart paper. We need a meeting area for the whole class. I need a reading mm -hmm. table where I can meet with groups, you know, and making it colorful. And, a play, you know, kids spend a lot of time in that classroom. It needs to be somewhere that you want to spend a lot of time well, in. On the, on the last podcast, I talked about, you know, a mistake I'd made early on with uh, job travelers and having folks scan a barcode and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. Well, part of the problem I had while they wouldn't scan the stinking barcode I gave them is they didn't have anywhere to set the paper and their hands were grimy and dirty. And so it's like they're standing at the barcode and they're trying to hold this floppy piece of paper with four of them, five of them stapled together. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to do that with dirty work gloves. Like it's a terrible environment. So what we get, we get people pencil whipping it and just scanning the shop mop step instead. Mm -hmm. So if the environment's not set up for success, no amount of uh, coercion, no amount of no amount of anything is going to matter because mm -hmm. it's, it's just they're not going to do it. Well, and then you know, I think about the episode we did a few weeks ago on um, Walmart mm -hmm. and how after Sam Walton died, they've done gimmick after gimmick mm -hmm. after manipulation and trying to get people's buy-in, and it's just not working no. for them. And again, back to education modeling was so important for the kids because yeah. how do they learn they learn by watching you do it right and it's true for parenting and it's true, true for the workplace the business. Yeah. you have to model how yep. how to do things and you know thinking about the sharing yeah. well how do they know how to share if it's never been modeled for them oh, that's have a good you point. gotten in the floor and played with your mm -hmm. kids and said oh can i borrow that would you like to use my toy yeah it has to be modeled for it them. does well, one of the the uh, speech I gave for a presentation I gave at the, the ASQ, uh, I guess Christmas uh, uh, dinner or whatever, mm -hmm. um, in it I talked about an example of a, a landscaper that I've been talking to, and they had a problem that you know it's only like sixty percent conforming to the original layouts each time they got the work done, and so they're trying to figure out like why it's they have so many problems. I mean, they gave the guys the drawings and they told the guys exactly the work to do. Um, but they had a high, uh, high rate of nonconformities. And so that was the solution is they had a, had a lot of area next to the office. They just created that as a laydown yard. And so he just tells the guys, go out there and you three do it. And the rest of you just watch. Yeah. And 
that near killed their issues with nonconformities. It's modeling. Model, yeah, model, 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 it model, matters. Model. You have to model behavior. You have to model the instruction. You have to model the environment. I mean, everything needs to be set up because you know, if once I, that borrowed strength is gone, yeah, it's gone. Well, and had I tried to do that myself, I wouldn't have run into that problem with the time cards. Yeah. If I had gone out and actually put a bead down and gone and tried to scan on mm -hmm. that job ticket, I would have found out like that and missed like two or three months of all sorts of headache. Mm -hmm. Not to mention the the lingering effects. Well, yeah, and trust lost. You know, yeah. The guys are like, oh, he doesn't care about it. Yeah, us. he's he just the even... guy at the office. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I thought this was really applicable to a lot of things we have recently talked about on our episodes and just, um, you know, it's got to come from within and people got to believe it mm -hmm. and you've got to model it. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, to go back to our start with why, you know, we talked about passing that on to your successors and making yep. sure everyone in the company knows, but that's why if you're yep. modeling it and living it, although I say that Sam Walton clearly lived it and it didn't, it no. didn't pass on. So we've also got to communicate it. Um, but you know, you, um, we talk about the quality policy and you know any of the quality consulting we do it's one of the you know, the must-haves you have to have a quality policy and you have to have objectives and so often we get this very blank generic stuff in there to provide the best possible service to our clients and shareholders with minimal non-conformities like really is that why you're in business is that why this quality policy exists is just to provide best possible service and then the objectives is less than two percent defects and less than one percent customer complaints really mm -hmm. is that all you care about like I, it's not going to go very far yeah it, it's not going to do much that, that doesn't inspire anyone mm -hmm. so you've immediately taken a third of your chance to get people to do what you want out in the picture mm -hmm. like and now all you're left with is coercion and fear good luck well, I, you know, something <laughs> that's really important to us in our company is you know saving time and energy for what matters most what matters most to us is our family and our kids mm -hmm. and uh, being able to provide for them and being able to spend time. Like we don't want to spend all our time providing for yep. them. We want to spend time with them. Yep. And, um, you know, we'll interview, we've got a couple of contract auditors that work for us. And one in particular that we talked to recently said, you know, well, I just don't want to be out of town a lot. I've got mm -hmm. my kids and, and we're like, we get it. I totally understand. We're good. We're, we're on board. No problem. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's such a sad thing that people have to shamefully say, well, I have kids and I right. don't want to do this part of the job. Like, yep. that should be your priority. It should. As soon as someone says that they have kids and they have a family, that should trigger a light bulb. And you're thinking, ah, this person's got something to work for. Mm -hmm. This person's got something to sacrifice for. This person. Mm -hmm. But no, we see this. Oh, that means that we can't. It's an inconvenience. Yeah. Like. Uh, it's just, it, it's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. That's the way things go. So I hope you enjoy this episode and, you know, remember to work on yourself. I, Kyle, of all people, can attest to the fact that I don't really like working on myself. I don't like change very much. <laughs> I feel as though I should be quiet right now. <laughs> it's hard um, to get me to do something different. And, um, Yes. Even sitting in a different chair. Yeah, I, I was like, know. can we just change chairs? She's like, no, I'm a creature of habit. This is where I'm going to sit. Okay. But I'm really, I really <laughs> have enjoyed the start with why. 
I'm really enjoying the seven habits. Now, unfortunately, because I'm on my goal to read all mm-hmm. my books, I haven't stopped to do the work, but it's churning. It's churning <laughs> in my head, and I'm thinking about it. Um, so I hope you guys are enjoying these, and I hope you really see how they matter the quality of work It does. That you do. I mean, like, seriously, everything we've talked about here on today's episode, just imagine how this applies to that quality policy. Mm-hmm. Imagine how that applies to those objectives, and let's get out of that generic statement. Well, this one, the borrowed strength, can come either from the quality manager or the leader, CEO, mm-hmm. whoever that might be. You know, the quality manager... I feel like they have a hard time getting their leader to buy in. Yes. So, you know, you've got to find a way to get them to buy in and really believe it. And the it leader, goes, yes. And if yes. the leader has the buy-in, mm-hmm. then he's got to get the whole company mm-hmm. to buy in. And you can't do that with borrowed street. No. You can't be saying, Mm-mm. I made these barcodes. you got to scan them. Right. Because I said so. Right. Like a parent. <laughs> because they're not going to do it. It doesn't no. matter if you said I mean, has, whose children have done everything you said because you said so? Oh, yeah. Well, that's just the, the good It happens yeah. all the time, uh-huh. right? Absolutely. No. no. Kids don't do it. <laughs> and neither do your employees. Nope. So you have to find the real strength that's inside of you to pass on. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks for listening.